like to try to respond to a few questions. Basically, I'd like to have these sessions as something that can meet uh, what is helpful for you. Um, so this is why I've asked some questions. And this evening I've got a, a few. I don't know how many I will, to what degree of detail I can cover them, but basically they fall into a couple of categories. One is a sense of, general sense of, what do I do? Frustration. Other people aren't behaving properly. Yeah, so one le one question is really much more a kind of domestic level. You know, as people I'm concerned for, uh, I have kindness for, I don't know, maybe they're her, her relatives or something, they're not getting this well, teaching. You know, this is really valuable and I, I can't get across to them. So how do you deal with that? Um, how to behave according to the Buddha's teachings when you see people you love are suffering. You don't want to take refuge in Dhamma. You can see them as yourself in the wheel of Sangsara. You'd like to share your spiritual path with them, but they don't want to. <laughs> oh dear, yeah. Uh, so it's in a similar vein, other people. They say we learn even from people who hurt or harm us, and they are our teachers. I think our teachers are the ones who show good examples to follow. Do we have to bear with friends when they're constantly hurting us? Um, something more full? I'm reflecting on the angry perceptions I experienced in my life and the judgment that accompanies them. Is this judgment valid or not? As a child I felt sad and angry what I perceived as a desecration of nature by human civilization, I felt anger and disappointment of the perception of the harsh and shaming treatment of black people by some white people. I was angry as a result of the perception that the church didn't seem to take the teachings of Jesus very seriously. I felt angry and frustrated at the perception of the uncaring attitudes about the cruel treatment of animals. I felt squashed by the rigidity of the education system. I felt fear and horror at the perception of the condoning of war. And a bit later, I felt anger about the way I perceived men as a generalisation to perceive and treat women. I can see there's an ethical judgment the world should not be this way. What's the matter with us human beings? We seem to want to dominate everything and sit at the top of the ladder. And what to do with these perceptions that make of me an arrogantly self-righteous judge? Isn't this just our common human inheritance we're struggling to emerge from? Um, the questioner talks about entrenched systemic patterns of hierarchy and domination don't transform just out of change of heart without pressure. But what this person has seen is that applying pressure in her circumstance in South Africa, they have consequences for the people who apply the pressure because it affects the heart energy. They get angry and frustrated and energy spills out all over the place. Is this really, you know, what do we do about all this stuff, human beings, and the um, insensitivity and the, and the entrenched positions human beings find themselves in and their 
and they're neglecting their own true welfare or they're messing it up for other people. And um, somebody, of course, is asking about the current situation in the United States, which it seems to most people see is, is really, uh, yeah, it's current, but it's also, um, it's repeated and it's just coming up again, perhaps in a more emphatic and, and uh, more um, uh, broadly responded to way than previously, seeing all this chaos and pain and anger and violence and frustration and being met, not really being met in a very uh, um, sympathetic way, <laughs> in fact, being met with armed resistance to it. This is human conditions, human or social conditions. You know, well, I hope there will be quite a long conversation uh, on particularly in terms of the uh, citizens of the United States, but I would say it's not purely an American problem. Um, it's, and I would say that racism is, is bigger than that. It's the whole um, um, seeing other people as separate and feeling superior, seeing other creatures as separate and feeling superior. And it sets up what I call the domination model. And it's human beings do this to everything else. Fundamentally, we do it to planet, to trees, to animals, to other human beings, to other nationalities, to human beings just to do it anything they can. They can do it to their partners, they dominate them, do it to their kids. <laughs> and eventually they try and do it to themselves. You know, One part of their psyche tries to dominate and push the other part around. This is a phenomenal uh, conundrum that we see being played out in horrific terms. And how it works out on this current political social situation in America, I can only uh, hope that there is a lot of negotiation, a lot of conversation, and uh, a lot of people start to really listen to each other and look into their views and attitudes and grievances in a very broad and peaceful way. And that has to be the only way because there's no other way that can lead to resolution at all. You can't dominate your way out of a domination paradigm. You can't use domination to get out of the domination problem. The problem is domination. You can't dominate people to, to, to solve it. You've got to go to the mutual field to do that. You can't You can't respond to the problem from the very same attitude that created it in the first place got to shift the attitude and hopefully if there is enough of this you know, peaceful hope really must encourage peaceful but but vigorous uh, uh, dissent um, or bringing this topic to the table it may be persistent enough for people for there to be a, a, a relinquishment of domination to somewhere a bit more mutual for the mutual benefit Unfortunately, in history, we rec recognize that often <laughs> that takes quite a long while. Um, you know, we will fight and dominate and push and bully and shove and try to hold things down as much as possible rather than let go and own up because something about the human unawakened psyche seeks 
this domination, apex, individuality, constricted consciousness, it feels secure, made secure by that. Uh, and this need for security is very fundamental for the human heart. And in its confusion, it thinks security can be developed through me getting on top of everything else and pushing everything I don't want out of my way. You know, that will make me more secure. It just makes me more domineering. And the insecurity doesn't go away, as we can see. Um, you know, domination countries, huge military, huge armaments, huge anti-terrorism forces. <laughs> they're not really secure at all because they have to have a massive, massive budget to maintain it. You know, it's not secure. It's a constant sense of threat that they're fending off. And the same for the embittered, embattled psyche. Is never made secure by power. Because you still, you don't get rid of that sense of there's bad people out there. You just build a wall against them, but they're still there. You haven't made friends with them. Only when you make friends with them or make a peace with them is it possible. That's the only way out. And it takes a while for people to get that because of this tenacious clinging to constricted consciousness which is where the sense of self arises. And this is fundamentally because certain, you know, you might say it's fundamental problems. One is sense consciousness. I'm here, I see things are out there. That's not, I'm this bit, I see things are out there, I'm separate from that. That's the way it looks. You know, something is out there, I can put it here, taste it, now I'm separate from it. Sense consciousness creates separation. Um, of course, it, you know, fundamentally it's not true because I can't be separate from the air around me. I, I can't be, you know, I can't be separate from the fact that there is an environment. I can shift my attention to details in it, but there will be a seen, heard, touched uh, as long as I'm alive. I can't be separate from that. Some will be pleasant, some will be unpleasant. You know, I'm not separate from consciousness, from what consciousness brings in. That means there's sights and sounds and people and so on going on. But the problem is, is furthered by the, the second fundamental delusion. It's created by the mind. The mind creates better for me. Better for me. You know, out of this separation and the, the subject, I want to get better so I don't have to have the unpleasant things, the disagreeable things, the uncomfortable things, the tedious things. I can get better. The mind does that. The mind conceives of a better for me. And then you get the domination paradigm starts right there. Yeah. yeah. So that model has to move from the constricted state because it is a very constricted you're really in here and holding on to what you can get in here and that tends to mean materialism get good stuff makes me happy get it in here so you get this materialist attitude all these perform a very powerful model that ends up consuming everything the planet the earth everything gets eaten up and this means, and the more I get, the better. This means other people get less. So you get inequality comes from that.
from the domination model, exploitation, inequality, therefore frustration, therefore resentment, therefore violence, therefore beating down the violence, therefore walls, ghettos, prisons, bars, police, tear gas, and so forth. Now, you know, Buddha's aim really initially wasn't a social aim. It was a, a more like a cosmic aim. Um, now, in this worldview um, of that time, a sense of there being a cosmos, which uh, is a term we use to talk about, you know, the realm of gods or fine material realm. Um, the realm of the dead, the material realm, the social realm, all fits within the total cosmos is that the complete field of what the human jitta can touch into. Psychological, cosmological, um, ethereal, as well as material and sensorial. And that's the big that's the big picture. And so for people at that time, all the aspects of these these realms were understood to be real ghosts spirits drama worlds you know hell realms um earth planet earth human realm society family all all there now we've more or less dismissed most of that so we just have earth realm family yeah is the model except now we've added something to that called the state and so we've sort of tweaked the cosmos, cut cut off three quarters of it, and the last bit we got left, we made it into something called the nation state, which then dominates us, which we subscribe to. We don't belong to the cosmos anymore, we belong to the state. We are people of the state. I'm a British person. Yeah. I am subject to the state. I'm not subject to the local devatas. <laughs> but in the time of the Buddha they didn't have states. They said, you know, what's that? You have, you've got your local family, your kin, you might have the village headman, and there's a king somewhere down there who you kind of paid lip service to, but he wasn't going to bother you because he didn't really have the infrastructure to control very much. So, but it made him feel good. So, okay, he's the king, but, you know, you get on with your own, you're basically your stuff is dealt with in your family and you get together and the village get together and talk things over about how they want things to happen. But then everybody's still going to their shrines to respect the gods and the deities to make sure they're getting enough rain. That's their cosmos. And the Buddha thought, well, even this, you know, I want to, I, I, I acknowledge that, but still, there's still something missing with the deathless, because in this cosmos, everything is going to die. Everything dies sooner or later. So he's searching for the deathless. So it's a very, that's his view. He's not searching for social justice. At that time. So he's out there searching for the death. He goes to the forest. He doesn't go to the constitution. Um, but interestingly enough, through his vision, he recognizes as a fundamental principle of karma, good and bad actions, that runs right through the cosmos and actually crystallizes on this human plane as how we act towards each other the principle of karma, the principle of ethics, it runs right through the cosmos and everything is the axis of the cosmos. And if you practice with that, 
and you attune to that, then this is the fundamental meeting place of all these different forces is around karma, skillful and unskillful. So saying, well, this principle, then we can bring this into the social realm. So it comes out of the forest and starts to teach people about generosity, uh, mutuality, uh, morality, um, you know, non-violence, non-harming, non-stealing, non-cheating. You know, he's starting to teach people this stuff. So they're going to come into an alignment with truth. So now you've got that. And now you're ready to recognize where do you lose all this, this true alignment, because you start to get greedy. You want more. You go to greed. So why don't you start letting go of that materialist craving and return back to ethics, mutuality, love, and so forth. Ah, now your mind is ready to, to practice the Four Noble Truths. Um, dealing with this sense of the, the agitation that the impact of sense experiences and the impact, of course, of other human beings and their behaviour has on you. But until you have that fundamental axis, it's very difficult to really deal with the problems of human behaviour, your own and others, from a clear, centred place. You always ended up blaming, fighting, taking sides with one or the other, and this just causes more chaos. Now, most people nowadays will come into Buddhism through meditation, but um, they may find it surprised how much, how many teachings the Buddha gave on right conduct to businessmen, the proper way to look after your family, the way you should apportion your wealth so you share it out amongst your, your workers, you make sure everybody's getting enough to eat. It's a very sort of, you could almost communist, uh, or at least a socialist model he's presenting you know, of, of welfare. And if you are... If you, are, you have some wealth, you should share it. If you are in a position where you have been able to be, get some, some advantage, you share it with everybody else. So everybody's comfortable. His advice to kings was, open your treasuries and give your stuff to everybody, then the criminality will cease. Yeah? Many suttas, or several suttas, point to this model. The righteous king is generous. Yeah? And therefore the people are happy the violence and criminality falls away. Non-violence. Um, so, so he definitely taught this social model. There's a list of the, the qualities the proper king should have, and they, I mean, they're pretty. When you listen to them, you try to find somebody who lives up to it. You got uh, generosity. Uh, if you look at world leaders nowadays, generosity. Virtue, self-sacrifice, honesty and integrity, gentleness, self-control, yeah. non-anger, <laughs> non-violence, patience, and living in accordance with Dhamma. So definitely, you know, there is a social model being presented. Uh -huh. And yet, the Buddha is saying, yeah, this model, and in fact he, he created a Sangha, and a, not just a Sangha of, of gone forth people, but also a fourfold assembly, as a social model. Which means you've got to keep meeting 
and negotiating and hashing things out. Because all the time, he's saying fundamentally, this, this social model is not secure. You have to keep negotiating with it. Yeah? This is why the best it can do is give you enough steadiness and calm and, and decent feedback from wise people to support getting out of this mess. <laughs> Which, frankly, it's saying it, it's, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a rickety platform. You just want it to be steady enough so you can learn to fly. And that was definitely his attitude. Um, but he'd certainly put a lot of effort into creating that platform. And the fundamental principle of karma. So you remember that the assembly bound by the five or the eight precepts is the standard for everybody across the board. Uh, mutual respect and so forth. And essentially talking, gathering. He said if you gather frequently. Uh, and he, he, he talked about the model of the Vajian Confederation, which he very much admired and modeled his Sangron. And he said they met often. They came to decisions by consensus. They stuck to their pledges. They didn't promise thing at the election day and then not live up to it. They respected their elders and they looked after their women to ensure they were safe. Uh, and they were vulnerable people. Girls and women ensured their safety. Respect to shrines and respect to spiritual elders. So he said, you know, then these are the things you get together around and you have to hash these things. Without this, you know, it's not going to work. So where that is not the case, you can very much expect the kind of experiences that these questioners have talked about. And what do we do with that? So, 15th chapter of the Dhammapada, Happiness. Happy indeed we live friendly amongst those who hate us. Amongst hostile people we dwell free from hatred. Happy indeed we live unafflicted amongst those who are afflicted with craving. Amidst afflicted people we, deal with, we live without that. We live free from avarice amongst people who are consumed with avarice. We live who possess nothing. We shall be feeders of joy like radiant gods. Victory begets enmity. The defeated dwell in pain. Happily the peaceful live, discarding both victory and defeat. So, that's the possibility. And for this, this is the benefit of the uncontracted consciousness. You know, consciousness or awareness, uh, maybe I'm, I don't want to mix the two terms up, but awareness is the fundamental inner property of consciousness. It means the knowingness that then moves out through sight, sound, and of course mind. So this inner quality of, of awareness can be contracted and it contracts around feeling and perception and meaning and impulses. And as it contracts, it forms responses out of those contractions. The responses are generally reactive and they become learned. I get angry. I get frustrated. I start blaming. 
I judge, I feel helpless, I feel accused, I feel bad. It does this, creates it creates more contraction till we end up totally twisted and, and compressed by all this. So, and I mean, yeah, it's heartbreaking. Um, so, uncontracted. It means trying to return to this fundamental axis of the cosmos, which runs through, and the Buddha talks in one of his suttas about how when people don't, when kings don't follow this, the whole cosmos falls apart. When ministers and householders don't follow this principle, the world goes crazy, the wind doesn't blow properly, the rains don't come, the crops don't grow. And this is what we're looking at now. You know? See, so when people are on fire with illicit passions, confused thoughts, immoral, the world goes out of sync, it affects the climate. This is what we're looking at. It's not mystical. Yeah. So the duty for our own welfare and for the welfare of the planet and for the welfare of other human beings, our society, our earth, our own welfare, we've got to keep referring to that fundamental axis, which is ethical, virtuous, harmless. And that's where the sense of something slips out, something moves out of engagement in reactions that are afflictive. Ethics is the beginning of it. Uh, goodwill, sympathy comes from that. And we really keep referring to that rather than the situation uh, for now. So it doesn't mean never, but until we can find a, a that steady place, we're not in a fit condition to really respond accurately to the situation. Other people, there's more of them, there's only one of me, right? For any, any of us. So it's why we say the first thing is often was word acceptance, which is thing <laughs> we accept being violated is not the case but we acceptance means essentially that we recognize something is happening an event is happening a perception is happening whether I want it to happen or not is secondary it's happening it has happened it's there uh -huh. now before I say it shouldn't be and he shouldn't and they didn't and they oughtn't to I've got to stop that because that's going to throw me into the tangle you know, so that Acceptance is the recognition that, okay, it separates you from this entangled state. And the entanglement um, actually rips the cosmos apart into you and me and them. Right? Even though it seems entangling, it rips the cosmos into all these separate units. Uh, but when we come to that place of acceptance, we begin to recognize there is suffering. That's, that unifies everything. The people who are attacking me are suffering. Uh, you know, um, 
people who I disagree with, they're, they're, in, they're in suffering as well. So we get that sense. And there's a possibility then your awareness can expand from rather than me and them into this is the situation. This is the total scenario of the human predicament at this moment. This is what we're in. We're in conflict. Okay. Now if I start to generate conflict around that, then of course that will magnify it. So the acceptance is just to, to, to nullify the conflictive, constrictive me-you movement of the mind. Then from there we start to, can we respond with a mind of awareness, with a response that is compassionate? And compassion is the capacity to meet the unfair, the disagreeable, the wounded without reaction. Instead it meets it with a quality of healing. Uh, so in this way our responses when they come out in terms of our actions and speech will come from that place of calm, dispassion and compassion rather than righteousness judgment counterattack that that's the the model of the process it's by no means um anywhere as quick as i've just said it um, and generally you have to build up a multitude of strategies to to see look i just got to put that to one side because i just can't i just get too reactive to build up enough where i can actually address this topic from a place where I'm able to talk about it and make it something that people can listen to so we can resolve it on a social level I'm resolving it internally the world is not fair you know there is confusion there is ignorance me getting upset about it is not going to make it change this is the way out and find the way out in one's own heart means then one is able to from that place address the social realm. Now whether the social realm changes or not, yeah. I mean the Buddha, you can say he was one of the first peaceful protesters when these, this uh, king was going to go and wipe out the Buddha's native town, Kapilavastu, because they'd insulted him. The Buddha went and sat outside the gate King came along with his army and says, uh, let's move to one side, Lord. And the Buddha said, great king, the shade of my kinsmen keeps me cool. In other words, this is my folks, right? So I'm putting myself here. I mean, <laughs> right, there's a whole art king, angry king with an army. The Buddha sits in front of the gate and says, you've got to go past me first. And the king backs off. Yeah. he did this three times but eventually the Buddha somehow felt um, nothing I can do here so he certainly was one of the first peaceful demonstrators you might say in history 
And yet, even the Buddha can't save people. People save people. He can give the teaching, we have to take it in and save ourselves. Even the Buddha couldn't save his own people from destruction. It wasn't that he didn't try. But he tried. As we can see, you know, in, in history, you know, when we got some of the great peacemakers, okay, Mahatma Gandhi, nonviolent, and seemed to, to some extent, in a very remarkable way, achieve or get close to achieving what he was searching for. Independent India, but he was trying to establish it on religious lines, not just fundamentalist religion, but cosmos. You know, everybody lives ethically, live frugally, sharing, you know, traditional values, and uh, frankly, that's all gone. Because people, if you don't keep it going, you can't. You can't do this through a law, because people, the law, you can change the law. You can't do this for a political structure because you can change the political structure. You can only do this through everybody feeling and being reminded of and attuning to the cultural cosmic principle yeah, and getting it for themselves. Otherwise, after 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, the revolution has gone sour and the new people in charge are doing the same stuff that the people they rebelled against were doing a generation ago right and it's certainly in india today you see fundamentalism you see brutality you see violence you see materialism it's not gandhi's india um, south africa yeah we had great stuff nelson mandela yeah but because i'm not you know, these are great beings, but still you can't resolve this on a political level. That's why it can seem so feeble to say, oh, we'll just sit and meditate, you know. But it's not. Certainly if you, if you just sit there ignoring everybody, but if you develop this unconstricted consciousness and you back it up with what the Buddha called Vinaya, which is our social and our behavioural practices, then you start talking, negotiating, bringing things to the table, forming skillful relationships. But you've really got to work it out at a grassroots level. You're not, you're not, the system is not going to change because it's, it's a, a system that's based upon domination. It's only when the grassroots gets big enough for domination to lo no longer work that things will change. And you've got to keep it like that. Otherwise a new domination paradigm turns up. Otherwise we go back again, because this is a very fundamental problem for human beings. Now, so social action, certainly social action. I mean, the Eightfold Path is social action. Um, peaceful protest, sure, as long as it's not, you've got to stay in line with the cosmos principle, non-violence, non-lying, non-cursing, non-reviling, you know, non-drinking, you know, you stay with that. Whether society changes or doesn't change or the degree which it changes, you have 
done your duty and you you can feel a sense of worth and dignity and you're going to make good friends and you'll make some change bound to occur that's the take on it um, so whether this is just your, your family circle do your dharma dharma means that the proper practices relational practices find the place of disengagement where you can you can respond to the situation from a, a place of coolness and compassion recognizing people get confused we get taken over by these demonic forces and we can't be forced out of it we have to see it for ourselves and see see a way out of it being modeled by people who sustain virtue dignity gentleness but truthfulness uh, i wanted to address or at least touch into somebody else's question about well, how do you practice when you're sick uh, well you know sickness directly speaking is to do with either unpleasant feeling loss of energy loss of clarity and fundamentally awareness can embrace that we all get sick um, we all get tired we all feel less than our best but you can feel that this is the unpleasant feeling this is the bodily effects this is the energetic effects it's low it's not firm you place awareness on it with awareness of non-resistance and you expand awareness expanding means a sense of widening softening and quality of goodwill goodwill is an expansive quality it tends to move against separation into harmony so you just maintain goodwill as a, as a fundamental theme that saturates the experience uh, and then the sickness doesn't even have to change but you you lift out of it something lifts out of it rises out of it so awareness on and also be careful not to get identifying you are not a sick person <laughs> you don't make an identity out of it um, really because it's not going to resolve on that level chitta is feeling a sense of unpleasant feeling difficult uh, energies uh, feeling of impotence touch into the direct experience of that aware of that don't get constricted contracted by that don't feel shut in by that instead keep expanding your awareness over the entire problem until open awareness is cool and steady and free and from there you begin to find the capacity to extend healing energies of goodwill that is as good as it gets whether sickness elevates or not you are no longer a sick person you're a person whose dharma is to practice with these phenomena at this time and uh, may you be well with it may your heart be free with it 
It's the only thing that can get free. With sickness, in a way, the mind can wriggle and struggle, but fundamentally there is no choice. That's its only, that's its only blessing. It's not bad karma. It's not, you know, it's, it's something that, in other words, you don't, it gives you no room to do anything else but practice that. Otherwise, you just get frustrated and miserable. You know, of course, our models of practice, we're all sitting upright, you know, healthy people in nice, clean meditation halls. And, but if you look in the suttas, a good number of the people are sick and dying even. You know, and the Buddha's saying, how are you doing? I'm not doing well at all, Lord. Miserable pains are racking my head. I feel like my belly's being carved open with a knife. There's, I'm not doing well at all. And the Buddha's saying, oh, well, bear up. <laughs> and gives him a teaching. A lot of these people were sick and really sick and no medicine. And some of them even dying. And they realized, they still realized liberation through that, in that state. So it is possible. That is possible. Health is not always possible. You know, we live an extraordinary privileged life having good health. It's, it's, not, it's not guaranteed. Uh, so, but we meet whatever it is. You meet that, the feeling. The, don't translate it into a person. You've got to keep doing it. It, it's it, it's a meditation practice that's almost given to you. You've got nothing else to practice with except that. It makes it very direct and steady and simple. May you be well. May your heart be free. Uh, may we learn to meet the problems and the struggle and the tangle of human condition with a mind that's no longer restricted by it, no longer agitated and vindictive and resentful about it, but judicious, has capacity to manifest proper dumb in this world for our own welfare and for the welfare of the future. So I'll pause there for tonight. Thank you. Um, for some of you, it's pretty late, two o'clock in the morning, <laughs> if you're listening in Germany. And, uh, uh, so wherever you are, if it's morning, good morning, it's afternoon, good afternoon, it's evening, have a good evening. For some of us, it's good night. And uh, if conditions are supportive, the room may open again next week. Be well.